Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 36, we review the latest Gold Cup matches on Fox, as well as International Champions Cup, friendlies and more. Plus, we have a lot of uh, questions and feedback from you, the listeners. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined by Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, how are you? I'm doing well, Chris. Uh, thank you. All right, so let's just just jump right in, Kartik. Uh, for those listeners who have never uh, had a chance to listen to the show before, uh, instead of kind of focusing on every micro detail about tactics and formations and who's playing well and who's who's not playing well, uh, we do do a little bit of that, but most of it is focused on the television coverage and, and, and streaming coverage of the beautiful ga- game. So uh, the first question I'm going to ask you, Kartik, from this past week of what you've been watching, any highlights, anything that stood out that you were like just just wow by or really entertained by no and actually i have to admit and i'll admit it freely here probably will uh tonight on the tailgate show also when i'm on uh, i haven't watched any of the gold cup other than the two games i went to i mean i haven't watched a minute of it i haven't watched a single minute on television of the gold cup since i got back from uh uh the games i went to in tampa so uh no i i haven't been entertained by it i, I have really no interest in the tournament the tournament uh allowing six guys to be called in for the knockout stages makes it even an even bigger joke to me uh, than it already is uh god bless the uh, clubs in uh, liga mx who didn't allow their players to be released for this because their season's starting in, in, in a week and uh, i i congratulate them on that uh so mexico uh, keeps going with the same squad of of b teamers and c teamers uh, so i haven't had any interest in that i have watched um uh Obviously, I was at the Orlando City B versus Tampa Bay game at Orlando City Stadium. I enjoyed that game. It was a uh, it was a contrast in styles. Tampa Bay, an older team, a very British team, very British team. I'm probably the most British team outside of Britain at this point. Uh, defending deep, playing um, with two lines of four for much of the game. Uh, Joe Cole, not the creative force that that he could be or has been in the past uh, playing for uh, playing there for uh, uh, Stuart Campbell's team, who is of course British, also English coach uh, in Tampa Bay, but very well organized uh, veteran team got stuck in um, with uh, veteran English players, a lot of veterans of the championship and uh, uh, league one. In addition to Cole, who obviously is a Premier league veteran, they got, they uh, got a one, one draw with Orlando city who was coached by Tony Pulis, the son, Anthony Pulis. Now this might be, 
interesting to our listeners. I don't think we've ever discussed this on this show. Anthony Pulis' style is not like his dad's. In fact, he was lamenting the fact that Stuart Campbell uh, and uh, Tampa Bay did not play football in this match in the postgame, that they were uh, defending deep and that they were uh, – they, it was a derby match, and they basically came in to muck it up with an experienced squad. Now, the irony being, of course, <laughs> what Pulis was lamenting is what we perceive as his father's style. Although I have to right. say, uh, even by his father's standards, uh, the, the Tampa Bay you know, uh, tactics, or if you want to call it that, strategy was, was incredibly cynical, even by a Tony Pulis standard. Um, but you have to watch Anthony Pulis, and uh, uh, they, they passed the ball well they play with the ball on the ground um lack that creative spark in the final third but uh, equalized late behind uh, danny deacon the former detroit city player uh, sheffield native another englishman uh, and uh, the tampa bay goal i should mention was scored by martin patterson who bounced around the lower leagues in england for years uh, and came to orlando city when they were in mls i uh, had a much reported and talked about incident in new york city uh, where he Apparently went on a bender uh, and uh, got released and now is uh, dropped down to USL to play for Tampa Bay. Um, the thing that was interesting also about the match is I got a lot of insight into uh, uh, from talking to the other journalists there and talking to um, the people around the teams, the perception of USL productions and uh, um, how they feel like the quality in camera, um, camera work and quality in broadcaster is improving as the season moves on we've talked about this before we uh, we've talked about it many times on the show but that it's still not at the level that um is satisfactory particularly for fans of a club like orlando who are used to really high level stuff with their mls club and with their nwsl club uh and for tampa bay which is a, a team that puts a lot of money time money and effort into everything they do and, and they do their first class club as far as lower divisions and american soccer is concerned so um it's getting there the tv right. production it's a work in progress but it's not um it's not satisfying a lot of the people who watch the league uh, from a critical standpoint yet but it's getting better i would say though kartik that uh, i watched the uh philly well philadelphia union against swansea city friendly um on youtube and i, I believe it was the philadelphia TV channel, or I guess the in-house TV channel, and I was really surprised about how bad the commentating was. Uh, they had Mar- Marisa do kind of as, as co-com, and he was fine, kind of providing some analysis about some of the players he'd played with before and what type of players they were. Uh, but the actual commentator himself, I'm, I'm not sure, uh, I didn't catch his name, but I was surprised by how poor that was. But but that's the thing with USL, I think for the most part. Uh, we're just looking for kind of a, like a basic level of commentary that's consistent at this point. And it just seems to be kind of lots of highs and lots of lows. And hopefully in, yeah. in the coming months, it, it'll be more consistent. Yeah, uh, this week, uh, Chris, has been an incredible week if you're an ESPN FC viewer, as I am. Uh, you've had uh, uh, Stuart Robson in studio uh, being Stuart Robson, being very kind of analytical and critical of things. You've had Ali Moreno, other than the day he went to call Salt Lake and um, and uh, Manchester United. Craig Burley has been in Los Angeles with Dan Thomas wearing uh, some odd uh, sunglasses, I must say. And, and it's become uh, the butt of jokes on the show. But uh, he, Burley was away for a few weeks, and he's been in rare form, really hammering some of these transfers and, and the flaws in some of these transfers. Uh, and then you've had, uh, I, I, I think, uh, 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 Sebastian Salazar in, in, in uh, outstanding form just asking tough questions, whether it's about the Gold Cup, whether it's about uh, um, 
whether it's about transfers, whether it's about these friendlies, whether it's about general trends in soccer related to these things been in really good form uh, hercules gomez is continuing to impress it's been a really good week on the show and then of course um they've had steve nickel chime in and and and, and say his bits which are somewhat predictable but are still usually on the mark from where i sit and uh, casey keller's been in studio this week which is a treat it, it, it's uh it's, it's an odd thing with ESPN FC. I mean, every couple weeks, it seems, every third or fourth week, they bring Keller or, bring, or Brian McBride in. They do quite well, but then they're not around after that. Now, I know Keller calls the um, Seattle games, so maybe he doesn't have the opportunity to come to Bristol that often. And um, as far as McBride's concerned, for whatever reason, he, he, he'll come for three or four days in a row and not be there after that. I, I think, again, it's probably geography he's not living in bristol for living in hartford or living in the area uh, but they'll, they'll fly him in for a week and the same thing with Stuart robson for that matter um it, it's interesting the analysis on the show though this is this this is something that i've noticed now for a while that um there seems to be disagreements uh, between the stu the the, the, the parents in the studio and Gabriel Marcotti quite often on news events and on transfers and on uh, the value of transfers or the value of certain coaches. So that's um, or even on VAR. That, 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 that's a continuing trend on the show. I don't know if uh, some of the guy pundits in studio are just taking out a contrarian position from Marcotti or if they generally don't like his point of view. Remember, he comes at this from uh, the point of view of a, of a soccer reporter and a soccer journalist, and the others come uh, from the point of view as a pundit or a commentator. So yep. that's our co-commentator. That's maybe yeah. the key difference. Yeah, it makes you wonder if they're going for the Fox kind of manufactured debates where they, uh, before, a comment, uh, before a match, they say, okay, all right, you take this side, I'll take this side, and let's, let's do a dry run, let's practice how this sounds. Okay, you, you, you sound uh, upset and frustrated about this one thing, and, and then I'll come in and have a opposite opinion so maybe maybe with espn i mean i, I think in, in many ways i think uh they all do it not to the extent of fox but but maybe espn is uh probably it's, it seems it's, much more natural and spontaneous on espn i have to say than okay. on um than it does on fox okay. but i mean I'll, I'll readily admit i haven't watched a second of, of fox's studio during the gold cup so i don't know how that's going i really don't have any interest uh, again uh, don't want to lament, uh, talk too much about this, but I made my views clear pr uh, pr prior when, when it's CONCACAF for the U.S. is involved, how Fox covers events and covers uh, teams and, and et cetera, and, and the sort of analysis they give. And the feedback I've gotten from people who've watched Fox during this tournament, uh, unlike myself, uh, is unfortunately reinforces those stereotypes I have of uh, – how they cover CONCACAF and how they cover the U.S. men's national team, uh, very different than they covered Confederations Cup when uh, they were forced out of their comfort zone and did, I thought, an outstanding job. So, um, so, so that was so, so Kartik, let, let's talk about CONCACAF just for a minute, just and, and then I'll have you go back into the other games you watched. But I, I think it's one of those things with uh, the Gold Cup. If any tournament needed VAR, uh, the CONCACAF Gold Cup is it. Reason being is that the officiating is so bad. I mean, it's really poor at this level. So uh, whether it's uh, offside decisions whether it's like, like last night, whether it was a biting incident uh, or other things, this is a tournament that uh, desperately needs uh, VAR and it doesn't have it. So it, it's really, it's not hurting the tournament, but uh, it's definitely, uh, there's definitely some questionable calls and some questionable referee, refereeing decisions. There. But that's part of the, uh, the, the um, uh, I, I, I'm looking for the right answer here, but 
Yeah, that's this is part of the allure of CONCACAF. That was the that was the word that was coming to mind. Is that they're bad officiating decisions? There's always kind of gamesmanship, if you want to call it that, from players uh, on national teams. There are always these controversies. The Maluda controversy about eligibility. By the way, uh, Honduras got through to the knockout stages, and uh, Martinique did not because of that. Uh, the, these sorts of things are so CONCACAF. You can't have a, a CONCACAF tournament and. Um, operated at the level a UEFA tournament operates at. You can't have a, uh, a Euro-type really kind of professional look and say CONCACAF. I mean, I think the CONCACAF Gold Cup now is more professionally run. These last two editions with uh, with uh, uh, Soccer United Marketing, uh, the marketing arm of MLS operating it, the, the previous editions that were operated by, the, 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 the preceding editions right before that that were operated by Traffic Sports uh, were, were even more chaotic. Uh, it's just CONCACAF, right? And it's just part of the nature of the beast. And I think that's part of the color. Everybody uh, complains about it, but that's part of the allure of CONCACAF. People pay attention to CONCACAF because th this is a region where the last three presidents uh, have all uh, either been uh, gone to jail or, or been in, uh, banned from football, right? That, that, right. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, what it is. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, it's a region where. Uh, they, they 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 deliberately set up a tournament so that the U.S. and Mexico meet in the final. Uh, and, and when one of them is not going to, if it's possible that neither makes the final, there's some degree of hanky panky, as we saw when Mexico played Panama last year, the day after uh, the United States had been eliminated by Jamaica. Uh, it, it is a it's it's a bit of a sham. You just have to accept that you don't you, you can't go in with the expectation watching the Gold Cup that it's a legitimate tournament like the Euros or like uh, 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 Copa America. I th I think it's not a lot of the media just accept it. a lot of the media uh, treat it as it is though I, I mean to me I mean this tournament is probably the best example I, I wouldn't say a joke I mean that's going a little bit too far but but in terms of a not very well run a not very serious uh, competition in terms well, of no serious competition is going to allow you to change your uh, half your starters essentially after the group stage of a tournament just just put that in context right right exactly and it's one of those things that um i mean the level of football has been for the most part pretty pretty poor across the board i mean uh and also even just the level of competition in terms of the teams that they're bringing in and, and the players that's that's the, that's the, re that's the region I mean, which uh which of these countries would qualify from common ball uh to for the world cup i don't know i don't think any no, of them none would. of them uh, right. what, what which of these countries would qualify from uefa now i hear people who say that europe's qualifying is easy and oh maybe you'll get into a group with albania or northern ireland but, but i don't know that a CONCACAF country would qualify from a group with northern ireland and albania and they certainly uh, someone told me, oh, well, there's a group where Switzerland's leading. Well, I don't think a CONCACAF country would, would beat Switzerland, honestly, uh, competitively. So it's a bad region right now. And it wasn't it wasn't always this bad, right? Let's let's keep in mind Costa Rica. They're at the tail end of this generation. They got to the quarterfinals of the last World Cup. They almost got to the semifinals. Uh, the United States, obviously, uh, and uh, and Costa Rica were both very good in 2002. And there have been spots where the U.S. have had good teams um, – this is a chance to kind of tease something I'm working on, but the U.S. were, I think, a couple of injuries away and a car accident away in uh, going into the 2010 World Cup from having a really good team, a team that could possibly have gotten to that World Cup semifinals. But mm -hmm. uh, I think right now you're in a dip in the region. Mexico has more guys than ever playing in Europe, and so we're kind of fooled by that. Uh, but they're not significantly better than they've been. I would say, Conte. 
I would, I would say the United States is a lot worse than they bear. Well, to, to me, I, and I, I was thinking about that, that, that this morning. I was thinking that I can't remember such a bad U.S. team. I mean, this is not a full yeah, strength team, team but I mean, the, the, the new players came in last night to kind of strengthen the team. But even last night in, in the performance um, against El Salvador, they were poor. I mean, like really yeah, well, a lot well, of displaced passes. I, I don't. We, we 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 do this to analyze broadcasting, but me. Maybe this is, and we don't really want to analyze tactics or, or the matches, but I, I'll throw this out there because you don't necessarily hear it on Fox or, or uh, from people who, who always want to pretend like the U.S. national team is getting better and better and better, except when Jurgen Klinsmann's the manager because, uh, look, I don't think Klinsmann was a good manager. Those people who follow me on social media know that, but um, it seems like he was largely railroaded by elements of the media in this country. Mm-hmm. I've come to that conclusion, even though I was one of those who was very critical of him when he was a manager. Except when Jurgen Klinsmann was a manager, there doesn't seem to be the proper critique on this national team. Where is the Claudio Reda in this team? Ten years on, the U.S. hasn't developed another player like him. Where is the John O'Brien in this team? Ten years on, the U.S. hasn't developed another player like him. Where is the Eddie Popper Gucci on pre-injury, that, speaking of 2009 and 2010, in this team? The U.S. eight years on from Gucci's injury, uh, basically 10, 12, 15 years on from Pope's uh, heyday, hasn't developed that player. Where's the Steve Trundle on this team? All those years on, the U.S. hasn't developed another player of that caliber playing at the fullback position. You could go on and on. The U.S., you keep hearing about how much money is being spent in soccer, how much better everything's getting, all these MLS academies, uh, blah, 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 so many more people playing the sport, so many more people watching the sport. That is all true. But the well, actual end product, as far as the national team is concerned, is significantly worse than it was 10 or 15 years ago, in my opinion. No, and, and again, I, I just ran through players that the U.S. have. The U.S. doesn't have anyone comparable to those guys that I just named. I agree. And, and this is against teams that are uh, subpar in terms of uh, across the, the world scale in terms of teams like Martinique, uh, teams like Nicaragua, teams like uh, El Salvador. These are teams in the past that the U.S. would have just run right over. And in each of those three games, they were competitive. There were chances for each of those opposing teams to win these games if they could have put their chances away, which which they didn't. And, and the U.S. was lucky for that. I would say, though, Kartik, that, um, and you missed this, but thank God for F- Fernando Fiore, because in the El Salvador game at halftime, uh, Alexi Lalas was kind of like talking about uh, the U.S. and Ali Wagner was too, as well as Rob Stone. And Fernando Fiore was coming in, and I said, "Hey, wait, 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 guys, wait! Uh, look at look at this. Look at the bad passing by Dempsey, especially. Look at the I mean, the U.S. is not playing that well because before the match, Here, here's another problem I have. Okay, with Fox, and this is a Concacaf event, and those of us who actually watch football beyond the U.S. men's national team in this country, uh, we interact with a lot of players from the Concacaf region. So uh, when you look at the El Salvador team, I personally, as someone who's covered the sport and worked in the sport in this country have stronger and better relationships with the guys on that team. Richie Menjivar played for the Tampa Bay Rowdies for a number of years. He's a player who was discovered by Eric Winalda, who I guess wasn't on the broadcast uh, when he was uh, playing in Southern California and, and, and Waldo took him to the Atlanta Silverbacks. Uh, uh, Gerson Mayan and Herson Mayan is a player who started for El Salvador last night, who I worked with for two seasons for with the Fort Lauderdale Strikers. You have Darwin Saren, who I covered for a number of years playing for Orlando City. Why doesn't Fox talk about the guys who played in MLS or played in the U.S. leagues and developed in the U.S. leagues as much as they should? It's, it's, uh, and there are people like me who have sentiment for those guys and want to see those guys do well. I, I, the fact that they're playing the United States doesn't really uh, impact me. Two years ago, I openly admit James Marceline from the Strikers had a great game against the U.S. for Haiti, and I was rooting for Haiti in that game. 
Yeah, Lalas was uh, pretty condescending in, in this match, uh, especially pre-match in terms of, he was saying that, I mean, the US should win this one 3 nothing, 4 nothing, And F- Fernando Fiorio was saying like, wait, 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 guys, this is this is a, a competitive match. But, El Salvador has got to uh, know ask, how to play against a team like this. Question. Let me ask you that very basic question, okay, getting back to another point I made earlier. When they would say that during the Jurgen Klinsmann era, guys like La. Oh, they should win this match 3-0, 4-0. This is gar- uh, and then Lawless would come back at halftime saying, this is garbage, and criticize the tactics, and then after the game, criticize Klinsman. Where is that for Bruce Arena? Uh, there isn't. There isn't. So post-match, Lalas is actually, I mean, Lalas, when, when it comes to the U.S., is always raising the bar. So uh, post-match, I think... Uh, Actually, did I, was it, maybe it was halftime. I think it was halftime. He was saying, okay, yes, the U.S. is leading 2-0 at half, but uh, they, they should be playing better. They should be trying harder. They should be I mean, doing more. Um, so, but but that's, that's not the manager that, that he's looking at. He's looking at across the, the entire playing, uh, playing squad and saying, okay, we need to raise the bar. Credit here to Sebastian Salazar on ESPN FC earlier in the week. He ra- or last week he raised that issue uh, with, with the panel, saying, "Hey, uh, there seems to be a difference in how Bruce Arena's covered." Now he didn't attribute it to some of the things I might attribute it to why Klinsman was criticized more than Arena, but he said there are obviously people who cover the sport in this country who've been burned by Bruce before, or have dealt with him, and have just decided to back off in, in this instance. This was, I, I think this was after the Martinique game. Uh, they had this conversation on ESPN FC, but there are not enough people raising that. I mean, I look at uh, a guy like Salazar who knows the U.S. game. Uh, he would have been perfect for Fox to hire and, and put in the studio when the U.S. is playing or there's a CONCACAF event. Knows Mexico, obviously, very well, too. Knows, all, knows Europe as well, but uh, they obviously didn't hire him. And it goes back to, I think, the mentality of Fox, the kind of personality they're looking for. And Rob Stone fits it. Yeah, and that's that's a concern that we had uh, and and do still have about uh, Fox when it comes to U.S. games is that they're too too positive, too rah rah. And uh, like I said too, thank God for Fernando Fiore. At least he was able to step in and say like, hey, wait, wait a second, guys, these are good, good players. This is a good team. They know how to play against the United States. Uh, this is going to be a, 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 not as easy of a match as you think it is. It might be. It might end up being two nothing, but. Uh, it's not going to be three nothing, four nothing, five nothing, like you said, Lalas. Um, well, although, although in re- reality, every game with the U.S. calling in the cavalry, so to speak, and Mexico not doing that, and and other uh, countries that are engaged in World Cup qualifying, uh, kind of being conservative as to their selections, uh, the U.S. should sh- and the U.S. being at home, they should they should rip right through this tournament, they, but they haven't been. Well, they should if they, if they're playing to the level that we expect them to play at, and they're far far off that. The other the other thing, one more thing too, Carty, uh, before I go back to you to talk about uh, some of the other matches we watched, is uh, just even the, the opening line from J- John Strong in the U.S. El Salvador game was co- again condescending, uh, and he said, uh, "Okay, the big boys are here, and now the tournament can really begin." And to me, <laughs> that kind of dismisses the entire tournament up to this point. And now says, OK, all right, now you've got uh, Michael Bradley, Josie and uh, Clint Dempsey. And, and now all of a sudden, now, now this is the real U.S. team. Well, the US, we saw the, the, the real U.S. team. And yes, they did win that match. But again, that was, uh, to me, another poor performance. And, and that's, uh, what, three in a row from, from the U.S.? Right. Again, you're looking at a situation where the United States uh, is uh, is taking this tournament uh, much more seriously than Mexico is. Yep. This was the case in 2013 also. 
the U.S. last time they won this tournament, and everybody was rah-rah about that. Uh, Mexico was in a bad spot with their A team at the time, but they called, they sent the B team. In fact, the guy who had the most caps going into that Gold Cup in 2013 was Rafael, Rafael Marquez Lugo, who had 11 caps coming into that tournament. They sent an absolute B team. Uh, Chepo was still managing them, and it was rah-rah USA. We, we won the tournament, uh, having uh, called in uh, guys like uh, Landon Donovan and, and Demarcus Beasley, although I, I will mention that uh, Klinsman gave Dempsey and Altador and a number of other guys that tournament off. Uh, Bruce Arena has not done that now. So um, they have to win the tournament. Uh, I, I, I kind of – I think you're right that John Strong's line was somewhat condescending, but also I have to say – What's the value of a tournament that allows you to swap out six guys and, and uh, after the group stage? Yep. It makes you makes you think, yeah, yeah, this the tournament has no value. It's starting now, even though we're two weeks into the tournament. Um, look, I mean, I I was more uh, interested in what was going on in MLS after the break yesterday, uh, full slate of games. But then I was was in the gold cup and that's just that's just the way it is but um so moving on one guy who never pulls his punches is taylor twelman and he was in um in 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 tow with uh adrian healy for the galaxy manchester united match uh, at the uh stuff hub center on um on um saturday saturday thank you saturday night and uh really really good discussion uh, i think about uh uh jermaine jones uh from taylor twelman and uh and um adrian healy really good discussion about pogba how pogba can play uh twelman uh uh, uh, was was contrasting uh, the Pogba we've seen with France, uh, even in this most recent friendly with England, how he dominates matches from kind of a number eight position to the Pogba, the, the kind of passive Pogba we've seen at times with Manchester United. Healy got in about the physicality of the Premier League, and maybe that was something Pogba was not had to get used to. I think also there was... Um, personally uh, an issue uh, my analysis is there was an issue of midfield partner for uh, Pogba believe it or not I know there are a lot of Manchester United fans who um, who don't like certain players but I believe it or not, I think Pogba played better last season when he was paired with Maron for Fellaini mm -hmm. in central midfield than when he was paired with Michael Carrick who to me is one of the best players in his generation English players uh, or with uh, uh, any of the other midfield uh, combos Andrew Herrera who, who I think is too valuable. You have to play him somewhere. But right. um, Fellaini's um, uh, tactical discipline allowed Pogba to do a lot of roaming. Um, so there was a discussion of this on air. There was a discussion of uh, Jermaine Jones, as I mentioned, what's his future in the national team, what his past was. And it made what was a friendly game. And Twelman can do this, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, mean, I have to give Healy some credit, too, because obviously he was facilitating the discussion. But Taylor Twelman has this ability to make a game that, to me, had absolutely no... I had no interest in this match. Uh, interesting because I'm listening to the analysis just to hear what Twelman says and what he talks about, about important topics related to players on those two teams, which do are things I'm interested in, even if I'm not interested in the match. So uh, one of a kind in, as far as American, uh, American co-commentators go. Uh, two nights later, you had Real Salt Lake and Manchester United, a similar uh, uh, discussion from Moreno and uh, Ed Healy, although Moreno I watch every day on ESPN FC, and I like him a great deal, but I'm overexposed to him, right? So I, I kind of know what his opinions are. But he gave some very, um, very good points, again, about Jose Mourinho and um, – and uh, the, the the signings and and Moreno's big thing and this whether it's on ESPN FC or, or in the broadcast of this game is you spend the kind of money 
in Manchester United have the last uh, two summers, uh, you don't have any excuses. And uh, Moreno seemed quite annoyed that uh, Mourinho continued to talk about winning the, the, the strain of the Europa League, the strain of uh, winning the League Cup, and how that affected their uh, Premier League form. Moreno, during the broadcast, said, you finished sixth in the Premier League. It's bottom line, right? right? Yeah. You finished sixth in the league. So, um, But that's the, that's the thing in Kartik. That, I, mean, I mean, to me, Adrian Healy and uh, Alejandro Moreno need to have their own talk show. They, they need to have their own podcast because I was watching this game, and actually this game was really competitive. I, I really enjoyed this one. But, yeah, yeah. But, it's better than the other games. Oh, yeah. But, but uh, Moreno and Healy were just carrying on conversations throughout the whole match as the game was going on, as things were happening, as like a, like a really bad foul was uh, happened on the pitch and the referee didn't call it. They, they just talked right over it. They were talking about uh, predicting that Real Salt Lake, I think they were joking, but Real Salt Lake would win the MLS Cup and Manchester United would win the Champions League. And uh, those conversations, kind of like, like you said, too, in terms of um, some of the players on the pitch and like how well they're doing and this, that and the other. But to me, you're missing the match. And this is a really competitive match. Well, right. And Moreno wasn't talking about how the players were doing in that particular game. He was talking about just overall kind of macro themes, right. which I enjoy hearing. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I guess as far as calling the game, um, I, I, would, I would encourage ESPN to do that. I mean, it, it seems they have so many personalities now, guys who've de- developed personalities that, that you didn't necessarily have person, you didn't know had personalities before, like Herc Gomez, who does the podcast with, uh, with Max Bredos, uh, like Alejandro Moreno, who now has been in studio with uh, Craig Burley for four years. So if you didn't have personality before, that will bring it up out of you uh, working with Burley <laughs> and Stevie Nickel, who uh, I could listen to uh, over and over again about things and who's really up on uh, really up on what's going on in Spain and Italy as well, not just in, uh, in England and Scotland. Uh, I don't think he's as up on Germany, but he, he's up on uh, on most of the European leagues. So uh, you could have that. There's just a lot of personality in in ESPN soccer team, uh, go, personality in a positive way where they're talking about soccer, just kind of different than Fox. So I definitely got that from that, this game. And then, um, as I said, all week long, ESPN FC has been very good. And uh, uh, with Stuart, Stuart Robson over here on uh, American soil for the week, there has um as you would expect, a lot of conversation about what Arsenal is not doing. And uh, that's that's just a whole other conversation. But just wrapping up on what I've watched this week, it seems like even with these friendlies going on, even with the Gold Cup going on, the major theme, if you watch ESPN FC, is transfers. And the, friendly, the friendlies are or only big in, in how they relate to the transfers, well as Manchester United going to sign another central midfielder is uh, how is Lukaku fitting in, in these first two games of uh, do, do, do they seem to miss some leadership with Rooney having uh, gone back uh, home to, to, to Everton to, to his boyhood club is, is there is that seems to be the theme that it, uh, either uh, Thomas when he's hosting or, or Salazar it's been more Salazar actually lately uh, what 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 they play on is transfers. It's all about transfers. It's all about the ma- uh, the market from the standpoint of the guys who are in that studio being ridiculous at this point. The amount of money being spent on guys who are um, from the perspective of, of, of analysts like Stevie Nickel and, and Ali Moreno and, and, and guys like that. 
some just above average players mm-hmm. or there's yeah. silly money and, being spent on them and it, and, it, and to me it's all about ratings it's all about uh having topics that you know that people for the most part most most soccer fans will be like hey tell me about uh Alvaro Morata and is he going to go to Chelsea and uh, you mean Lukaku I mean how's that going to shake up things at Man United and and it's to me it's all about ratings and, and through the websites it's all about surprisingly clicks. Str- strangely yeah website clicks uh tv uh, uh ESPN NFC television ratings, there have been dissatisfaction with most of the transfers. Yeah, uh, ESPN FC let off with Neymar two straight days, which is not something that many in the media are giving that much credence. But the thing that I found really interesting, and maybe our listeners uh, found this odd, too, if they were watching ESPN FC, there has been nothing but criticism of Lukaku's transfer to Manchester United. This isn't the right guy. They paid too much. Uh, He's not going to fit in with Jose Mourinho. The Marata signing, interestingly, from Nickel, from Robson, from uh, uh, Moreno, from Burley, talking about the prospect of them getting Marata. He hasn't been uh, weighed in since they signed him, and uh, and and company has been a positive one. So mm. I, I was thinking, well, maybe they're just slamming every transfer because Kyle Walker, Stevie saying, ah, he's a, he's a just a, he's not really a, even an average defender. He's fast going forward, but doesn't fit Pep style. They overpaid for him. Uh, Danilo, same thing, overpaid, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but this transfer, for whatever reason, they've embraced. Uh, I don't know if that's it. So that that's why I'm thinking the way you were earlier in the week. Well, maybe they're generating controversy by ju- by just um, ripping a lot of these transfer- transfers and the fees. But it sounds like their entire studio uh, commentary team likes the Morata transfer. And in fact, Robson speculates that that would be that was actually the guy they wanted all along. That the transfer committee and then Mendelu and these guys backroom at Chelsea were forcing other ideas for whatever reason. But that from a pure playing standpoint, Morata's the guy Conte would have wanted all along, and now he's got him. Yeah, and it's also uh, it's also the middle of the summer too, so they're looking for topics that they can. I mean, they don't have the rights to the, the Gold Cup. I mean, they have the rights to the Women's uh, Euro 2017, um, and they don't have actually they have rights to some of the, the friendlies. But there's not a lot of kind of coverage to talk about. So I think timing wise, and also just in terms of uh, just attraction, just just topics that they that they know will pull crowds into. Um, I think I think it works really well for them. Uh, anything else, Kartik? Before I move on to my list. Uh, no, that that's it for me. I mean, I tried to keep an eye on MLS uh, as I came back Wednesday night, and uh, uh, obviously uh, that that uh, is also a little bit interesting because they had a full slate of games. Uh, I right. think they had eight or nine games in on, on a night when uh, uh, the U.S. was playing in, in this uh, Gold Cup tournament. So that 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 uh, certainly probably divided the audience uh, somewhat. Yeah, and like you said too, uh, Liga MX starts uh, this weekend. Actually, uh, Friday night yeah. already starts yeah. up again. So the, the, the past week, Kartik, for me, it's been a mixture of uh, watching Gold Cup and friendlies. So Gold Cup, um, not too much to mention. The, the only thing I would have mentioned that I haven't mentioned already is that uh, I did listen to one of the games on Sirius XM FC on satellite radio. I was driving uh, someplace and I was uh, listening to Panama against Martinique. And uh, it, it was interesting because I was able to hear that just the audio of the match. and It's, it's a Fox... Uh, I think it was FS1 or FS2, uh, probably FS2, that broadcast on on the radio as I'm driving. And uh, Mark Followell and Tony Mueller were pretty good. And then the, the, the halftime show. And to me, it was just uh, Fernando Fiore. He sounds worse on radio than he does on television because on television, he's very animated. He's doing you know, different uh, 
uh, gestures and all this that, uh, and that. But on radio, all you hear is this voice, and it's kind of uh, you know, just, he's all over the place. And, and it, for, for radio, it didn't work as well. But but still, it was kind of I, I thought it was a little bit funny. Um, and then the U.S. games we talked about. So so for me. Other than the Gold Cup, I've watched so many friendlies this week, Kartik. I watched uh, Malaga against uh, Sheffield United. I watched uh, St. Gallen against Southampton. Monaco against Stoke City. Uh, Philadelphia Union against Swansea City. Manchester United against LA Galaxy. And uh, also, let me see, Real Salt Lake against Manchester United. AC Milan against Dortmund. Liverpool against Crystal Palace. FC 20 against Everton. And I think that was it on the friendly side. Um, for me, watching friendlies is interesting because I, I get to see for a couple of different reasons. One is kind of scouting, seeing some of these new players coming through the, the, the systems and seeing if there's any uh, players that are you mean, impressing me or even some players that I do know and, and seeing if maybe if they're not fit. Like, for example, one, one example, and this is a player who's coming back from injury, it was uh, Charlie Austin for uh, Southampton. And he looks really... Uh, far, far off uh, fitness, uh, high, high fitness levels, uh, understandably so. But but it's still got a long way to go before he becomes, I think, back to what he was before. Uh, the other reason I like watching friendlies too is um, fantasy Premier League. So uh, FPL is starting up in a couple of weeks, uh, and so I'm kind of like scouting players too to see, okay, are there any players that are standing out that I'm thinking like, oh, I forgot about him. Maybe I can put him into my squad. Um, and I also enjoy the other thing too. I enjoy watching games from uh, uh, stadiums that are so small and you've got standing room only. It's just a really quaint stadiums in different places. Like the St. Gallen game against Southampton was in the valley and it was just a beautiful like uh, mountain ranges. I don't know if it was the Alps uh, nearby. It was just lots of things that you wouldn't normally see in, in a typical game. So. Lots of friendlies I watched, and uh, there was one other thing I was going to mention. Oh, yeah, I watched Germany against Sweden in the uh, Euro 2017 Women's uh, Championship. This, end, this one ended up being a nil-nil uh, match, and it was the first time that Sweden has ever avoided defeat against Germany in a competitive women's tournament. Um, it was a really good match, but it was one of those uh, very tense, very... Um, for some, it would be boring, but it was it was basically very tense when it was just a more a game of chess than it was a game of football. And uh, I, but still, I enjoyed it. Very uh, good defending. Did, did, did you say that um, uh, Germany had never lost competitively to Sweden before, or had never not beaten Sweden competitively before? Uh, Sweden has never uh, beaten. Well, actually, he says so. Uh, in my notes, I got Sweden as. as, as uh, First time Sweden, Sweden has ever avoided defeat against Germany. So in huh. all, in all, in a competitive that, women, that, that, women's that, that, that's, that's surprising because from from my perspective, Sweden had a better team than yeah. Germany uh, in the late nineties, in the in the early two thousands. I mean, then then Germany really kind of uh, put yeah. their foot on the women's game, and it has been the top top side since. Um, not surprising w- uh, with uh, Sweden that they were playing tactically very kind of defensively and very uh organized that's uh that, that that's been pia Suntage's uh, uh calling card really that's, that's yeah. the way they play so and, and it might be one of those things it might, it might just be a bogey team where it's one of those teams that like sweden just can never seem to get anything uh, when they do play germany but uh it was a good game good good uh, good level of, of play there and um 
last but not least, Kartik, uh, I watched the George Best uh, documentary, which is called uh, All By Himself, which I know you, you watched and, and you wrote a review on, and uh, that's on the worldsoccertalk.com website. Uh, I watched it. It's coming out on Thursday, and it's coming out at uh, 8.30 Eastern Time on ESPN. So for those listening to the podcast, if you catch it, great. If you miss it, I'm sure they'll be putting it on to um, watchespn.com, watch yeah. where you can watch, watch the whole thing there. Um, I have to say, though, Kartik, I did enjoy it, but I was surprised by how much of the focus was on um, alcoholism because it seemed to be like the last, probably like the last 25% to 30% of, of, of the show was just focused intensely on that. And it ended up being more about uh, the disease that he was going through and, and really grappling with and that eventually killed him. Um, and I was surprised by that. It was really... For me, depressing to watch, um, but still worth watching because I, I learned a lot more about about him as an individual, but all everything he had to go through. But I was just surprised at how little soccer there was, except for in, in the beginning, of course. Yeah, I, I agree with that, and I, I think the the thing that made it so dramatic for me was the stuff the stuff that happened in the United States has been well documented uh, he played here with Fort Lauderdale I know some of those stories there are some stories that weren't in the documentary about what happened in town when he was here uh, and uh, obviously San Jose you you, you, you heard uh, the story of him being sober for months and then winning the goal of the year for that unbelievable goal which is actually against Fort Lauderdale and then going on, I think it was a 22-day bender. So uh, th- these are the sorts of um, rich anecdotes you have in the documentary when you watch it. Uh, one thing I would point out is, to me, the thing that made it so um, so interesting was hearing the words of Sir Matt Busby and, and getting that audio and putting that, superimposing that in the, um, in the documentary as things are about to turn. Now, I guess in any kind of narrative uh, like this, you have um, the rise and you have the fall, right? And uh, the, the the period in the period where the, the rise becomes the fall, uh, largely narrated by Sir Matt Busby himself in some audio from the time, contemporary audio or audio from from the late sixties and early seventies, uh, as he was facing out uh, his role at Manchester United himself. Uh, but uh, I, I found that in the most kind of compelling part of this documentary is the audio from Sir Matt, the audio from uh, the likes of uh, Ray Hudson, the audio from all of his family and all of his friends and journalists who had covered him at the time that w- served as the, as the voice, as the narrator of this documentary. There wasn't a, an assigned narrator. Um, the one interview I wish Daniel Gordon had gotten and he didn't get was Rodney Marsh. And I'm not sure why that was. I was surprised uh, too. Rodney Marsh played with him uh, in London, uh, helped lure him over when he had signed with Tampa Bay, helped lure him over to the United States to play in uh, major, excuse me, in the NASL. And uh, I, I continue to have a relationship with him. In fact, I think we have appeared with him on television as pundit at times. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah towards the end of best life. So, yeah. So, I, that that was one guy that was missing for me in the documentary. But other than that, I'm, I highly recommend it. I think that the challenge with this one, Kartik, is that there's so there was so much to tell in such a short amount of time that this could have easily been a, a three-hour uh, documentary because what happens is that you, you kind of see the, the path and, and the history and, and everything he goes through. And then all of a sudden he goes from um, San Jose, according to the film, he goes San Jose, and then he jumps back to Fulham, and then it seems like it's like kind of like just a few late, few years later, then then he's he's dead in the hospital, and of course there's so much that happens 
I mean, there's all the clubs he goes to, he plays for. There's this work with Sky as a, as a, a pundit. I mean, there's so many stories there that, that were cut out. And I'm wondering whether that was kind of from a time constraints point of view, because, uh, I mean, this this game, uh, this this documentary will uh, premiere in the US on television, um, like I said, on Thursday night, right before the Manchester United, Manchester City uh, uh, derby, the International Champions Cup game. But this could have easily been a three hour film. And I'm wondering whether when the DVD does come out, if there's a whole bunch of outtakes or maybe there were some interviews with Rodney Marsh, but they just couldn't fit it in in terms that of the seems, narrative. That seems to happen with... Uh, 30 for 30s. This is something that if you want, if you get the 30 for 30s on DVDs or you watch the digital versions later, there are outtakes with the director. There are scenes that are cut. Uh, there are whole themes that are uh, scrapped because of time limitations, because you are still putting it on uh, ESPN, cutting it to be uh, to fit in an hour and a half or two hour window with commercials. So keep that in mind. So I, I think you're probably right. That happens i i've seen a couple of the documentaries they've done like the um the boston college uh, point shaving uh, college basketball documentary from the late 70s that there were there were some things that were cut from that uh that when you when they're put back in the the film make it even more compelling i i think that might be the case with the uh the notre dame university of miami documentary which uh, which i enjoyed uh was uh, uh thought it was told a little too much from a notre dame perspective perspective uh, as a Miami guy, but, um, you know, they, they do that with 30 for 30s. Remember, they're still, these aren't kind of these, these aren't like HBO documentaries or Showtime documentaries, which, uh, by the way, are great. Uh, but they, I think that there's more flexibility as far as time with those, uh, you still have to fit into some sort of window, but you don't have commercials. So this documentary, I believe only runs about an hour and 15 minutes in reality because of um even though it's in an hour and a half window so uh that's a lot to crowd into um relatively short uh short space uh but i i still highly recommend it so coming up in a little bit we're going to talk about uh international champions cup and who will be the play-by-play commentators for both the english language and spanish language broadcasts but first a word from our sponsor 11 Miami, uh, South Florida's premier nightlife destination and only 24-7 Ultra Club, is giving away a pair of VIP tickets to El Clasico Real Madrid versus FC Barcelona's game on Saturday, July 29th at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. All you have to do is go to 11miami.com slash Classico to win uh, premium VIP seats that include food and beverage during the game. But you have to enter now as the contest ends on July 24th. You can also win uh, two tickets for the PSG against Juventus game on July 26th and VIP bottle service at uh, 11 Miami's rooftop viewing party on July 29th to watch Real Madrid against Barcelona on their 16-foot LED screen. Once again, the giveaway will end Monday, July 24th. So register now. Go to 11miami.com slash Classico and register for the chance to see Real Madrid versus FC Barcelona live in person at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami, July 29th, courtesy of 11 Miami's nightclub. Okay, Kartik, so let's move on to uh, TV streaming news. Yeah, um, a lot happening uh, in in the world of uh, um, TV, and we just teased it. ESPN, ESPN Deportes, ESPN U, and ESPN News will combine to present the uh, International Champions Club Cup, uh, uh, which has already started uh, from July 18th to July 30th. Play-by-play play, play voices are uh, 
John Champion in English and Fernando Palomo in Spanish. Uh, they will be the, the leading commentators. There will, of course, be other commentators uh, involved. Uh, and uh, they will call these international preseason matches between uh, championship winning clubs and clubs that also have uh, uh, perception, you know, uh, big names. Uh, Manchester City didn't win anything last year, but they're in this. Uh, between all these clubs uh, for this uh, two week tournament, if you will, uh, from and you've noticed ESPN is not just covering the e the U.S. based uh, games, but also China, uh, Australia, wherever they're being played abroad. That's right. And also Derek Ray is going to be doing some of the, the commentaries, too. It's good, good to see John Champion as the uh, the lead commentator. Uh, but Derek Ray, I believe, is doing about six games, so um, including the Manchester derby. So it'll be interesting to uh, so to listen and, and hear his voice again. Uh, it's been a while since we've had a chance to listen to it uh, for so so many times in such a short period of time. So on to other news, and that's uh, two websites have been redesigned over the summer. Uh, the first is the Be In Sports Connect website, which has now moved to a new address, which is connect.beinsports.com. And the second is the NBC Sports soccer section, which is now at soccer.nbcsports.com and is a much improved design compared to previously. Now, the NBCSports.com slash live section actually redirects to this, this new uh, section on the NBC Sports website. Um, and it's been redesigned. It's a much wider format, so to make it easier to read some of the stories. Um, and, and in both cases, both the Be In Sports Connect and the NBC Sports Soccer site, they look great. They look good. It's, a, it's a breath of fresh air from what they looked like before. I think most of us, most of us listeners, have seen that, seen it uh, so many times that uh, we know what it looks like. But now, if you go there, I think you'll be uh, pleasantly surprised. So, Kartik, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, and that's SeatGeek. SeatGeek, uh, buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, but there is a better, simpler way to buy, and that's with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. Uh, I missed the uh, Swansea game against uh, Philadelphia Union and the game uh, on Wednesday evening against Richmond Kickers. And I'm probably going to miss the one this weekend against North Carolina. Uh, reason being, I've just been so busy with work and I'm actually uh, working on a book. So that's the reason why I haven't been able to, uh, to get away to these matches. But if I was going to go, I'd be using the SeatGeek app. It's designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. It saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to, co to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get you the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket, from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. Best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code WSTPOD today. That's promo code WSTPOD for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now, Kartik, moving on to TV ratings, uh, we have uh, we don't have every single one here. All of them are listed at uh, worldsoccertalk.com uh, for all the different games. Uh, but uh, any highlights here from the, some of the numbers that uh, we have in front of us? 
Yeah, I mean, Mexico games, irrespective of the kind of team, Mexico fields always get great numbers on, on Univision and, and uh, Unimas. That's, uh, I think, uh, to me, uh, very, very uh, telling. Now, um, the the thing that I think has been a little surprising to me in this tournament is that Univision has gotten better numbers for U.S. games than the Fox networks have, uh, other than that very first uh, U.S. game that was on Pan uh, against Panama that was on Fox over the air. So that um, is a trend I, I want to continue to track because I, I've had that suspicion that that would happen. Now, we, we haven't had uh, the head-to-head -head comparison with Telemundo, who will be covering the World Cup next year, but will there be some bleed? Now, a lot, and during the World Cup, you have all kinds of casuals that come, and they're going to watch Fox, right? Mm -hmm. But will the core soccer audience that is engaged in the sport now, a year out from a World Cup, uh, will they all all gravitate to Fox as the English language rights holder, or will there be bleed to uh, the, the the network covering the, the the tournament in Spanish? In this case, um, tele, in this case, this tournament Univision, but next next summer Telemundo. Uh, based on the Martinique match and the uh, Nicaragua match, we're seeing that. So. Uh, that's something to watch, and that's something that Fox may claim they're not concerned about. Maybe they're not, uh, because they're they're going for a more casual audience and a, and a raw, a raw kind of uh, jingoistic audience. Maybe people who are less sophisticated in how they 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 uh, take in the sport. But uh, that's something I would continue to track. So th th those. Those are the ones that really stand out for me. Yeah, for me, it's been... Uh, I'm, I'm actually looking in closely at the numbers for the Mexico matches on FS1 to see how those numbers are doing because Fox has positioned Mexico as America's second team, which, which I know, to me, at least, it's... it's, it's, it's I don't know. Uh, that's a long story. Uh, but, but to me, it's, it's, one, it's, it's not a, a true representation of how the average soccer fan, American soccer fan, feels... They don't feel like Mexico's the second team. That's like saying, like for English fans, Scotland's your second team. Well, that's that's not the case. But but the numbers in terms of FS1 for the Mexico games, uh, two hundred eighty thousand for the Mexico against Jamaica match, uh, three hundred two thousand for Mexico against Curacao. Um, FS1 is putting a lot of effort into promoting Mexico, and even in the U.S. games, in the halftime, there's usually uh, a segment on Mexico, and that's something we haven't seen in the past before. So, with Fox picking up the a lot of the English language rights to the uh, FMF, uh, Mexico those are some better. The, the, those are the, um, those are better numbers than we had during the Confederations Cup, though, for a lot of Mexico games, group stage games. So some upward progress and the um the univision numbers are also higher than the uh the telemundo numbers which again it may be timing of games uh prime time versus um versus the middle of the day it also may be the relevance of the tournament uh, look I, I think the gold cup is 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 not a very serious tournament but i don't think the federations cup is a very serious tournament also i think I've, i said that when we had that uh when we were covering that tournament so uh, uh mexican fans are probably still more interested in a tournament that uh that, that is going on on american soil where they live uh, and uh potentially could could crown them as continental champions he even with uh, a B team. But also, I think, Kartik, too, you've got, uh, I mean, you've got Costa Rica, you've got Panama, you've got El Salvador, Nicaragua. You've got a lot of um, listeners, Spanish-speaking speak, listeners that will watch uh, Univision. Some of those countries. Games. Yeah, some of those countries. Right, I mean, there right. aren't that many Costa Ricans in the U.S., but Salvadorians well, there are, Hondurans there are. Right, but, but, but rather than, say, Confederations Cup, in terms of... There probably as many Americans in, in Costa Rica, actually, but 
Yeah. Go ahead. So, so, so far, I think uh, from the numbers I've seen so far, that Univision is about 20% uh, uh, further ahead than Telemundo was for the Confederations Cup. So the That's Gold Cup, right. there's more people watching the Gold Cup than there were at the Confederations Cup. But like I said, too, I think a lot of that, too, is just there's a lot of more Spanish-speaking countries playing in this tournament for the Gold Cup than there would be for, say, Confederation Cup, where, I mean, it's Mexico and, and, and uh, Chile. Right, um, and obviously people, there are people who watch Jamaica and Caribbean nations uh, as well that I, are in this country. Exactly, exactly. And one more thing I, I do want to highlight about the um, the TV numbers is that uh, NWSL got its best number so far this season on Lifetime. And I had uh, 127,000 watch the uh, North Carolina Courage against Portland Thorns game. So week by week, those numbers are going up and up and up. Uh, last week, or the week before that, was the best number. And now they've gotten their, their even better, the best number beat that one. So... Uh, Things are looking up for for lifetime, and that might be a, that might be a reflection also of uh, less soccer being on to compete with, and then that particular game, Portland versus North Carolina, was a big big game in terms of the N- NWSL table. So, uh, I think that that had something to do with it as well. Okay, so let's move on to listener mailbag, and the first one is from Mike from Salt Lake City, and he sent this in through email. He says, I'm a newer listener to your podcast, about four months or so. I enjoy the podcast, but I don't understand your criticism of Fox being pro-American with their soccer coverage. The majority of the audience resides in the United States and is mostly interested in the U.S. men's national team. So why not devote more coverage to the team that your audience is interested in? I think Fox can, uh, can be objective, and a U.S. Uh, men's national team cheerleader in their analysis. ESPN FC shows you how you can balance support for the U.S. team and be critical when warranted. I feel you only criticize Fox because they are cheerleaders, and I think Fox is appealing to the soccer fans who will make up most of the viewing audience, fans of the U.S. men's national team. I enjoy the podcast. Karthik, what, what do you think about this one? Yeah, I think I think he's right to, to a large extent, which is that um, Fox is is appealing to casual fans who aren't hardcore soccer fans that will be the majority of the viewing audience in 2018. And I just mentioned that, that that would be the, the core. And that's what they're striving for. ESPN FC. Look, ESPN FC talks about, I, it's not talking about the U S constantly. It's the way they talk about the U S it's the way uh, any guy who has played, decently well in MLS has elevated themselves to, uh, to, 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 to just kind of, uh, the status. And, uh, look, I, I was very critical of Jurgen Klinsmann. You can go back and, uh, and look at my, uh, Twitter feed from when Klinsmann was the manager the last two years in particular from, uh, maybe early 2015, late 2014 until, uh, he was sacked and see that I was no fan of his tactics, no, not necessarily a fan of his squad selection, had called him at times a charlatan because of the things he would say in the press uh, to, 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 to deflect uh, criticism of him. But to me, there is a very clear difference in how Fox covers a Bruce Arena-led team versus a uh, Jurgen Klinsmann-led team. And I saw that in the pregame shows and the postgame shows and the halftime of the qualifiers that they've shown since the Arena became the uh, the manager, the three qualifiers that have been on Fox. And uh, that, that's all I needed to see was basically um, there is a certain degree of cheerleading. And I don't know if it's necessarily U.S. oriented. Chris, now that I'm thinking about it and talking it through 
or if it's MLS oriented. And if it has to do with guys who played in Major League Soccer or have some connection to the league, Fox, of course, is a long-term rights holder yeah. for Major League Soccer. It's, and there is a des desire. And that, that's part of Rod Stone's persona yeah. is actually to promote MLS. But that seems to be uh, the bottom line. Whereas on ESPN FC, you will have uh, the, these intense fights because there is an instinct from Alejandro Moreno in particular to defend Major League Soccer. But uh, Taylor Twelman doesn't necessarily defend MLS. And you have um, the rest of the panel that is that is quite critical, uh, even though they put as much of a lens and as much time into focusing on the U.S. national team. At the end of the day, I think we all want to see the U.S. do well, and we all want to see them succeed, and we all want to see them you know, go on to win the World Cup or any major tournament. But I, I don't feel that Fox is objective at all. I think they, that they are way in the tank, uh, and, and so much so that they're not critical. So when, they, when the U.S. has had poor performances... Unless Klinsman's like, the manager, and, it, and it's only about <laughs> him then. Right? When Klinsman was a manager, it was because of him, and right. he has to understand the American player, and he has to understand Major League Soccer and not disrespect it, and uh, he, he's, got to, uh, he's got to be more Americanized in his approach, even though uh, if you talk to someone in Germany, they think Klinsman is very Americanized in the way he manages, but that's a whole other issue. Yeah, so in, in the games against Martinique, um, in the games against... Uh, I mean, to a lesser extent, El Salvador, but but uh, and and Panama. You look at these games and you go that that the U.S. didn't play well, but the the level of analysis post match from Fox has been pretty much it's it has not been critical at all in terms of the performance. Um, and and going back to what we've said in previous podcasts too, where um, Lalas's newest thing is kind of fo focusing on power rankings, where he's looking at the, the team and picking out the positive uh, of the players rather than focusing on you mean. The, the nine out of 11 players that had pitiful performances. So, so I, I get where Mike's coming from, and uh, we all want to see the U.S. do well, but I would love to see NBC Sports cover uh, the U.S. men's national team and see how they, they would do it differently. Fox can solve this by making one move, which is putting Eric Winalda in the studio. If, for well, this game. if they give him time, though, because that's the thing, because there was a game... Uh, but they... they but the fact that he's not even there, that, yeah. I, that speaks volumes to me. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Actually, the Panama-Martinique game was the one I listened to on Sirius Satellite, and I was listening to Fernando Fiore. And Winaldo uh, was on that broadcast, too. And listening on the radio, I'm like, he's not getting any airtime. He's getting like maybe like 20 seconds here, 20 seconds there. He's not right. getting enough time to actually have a critical viewpoint and go into a little bit more detail about why he feels that way. But yeah, Kotick, you're right. I mean, why he's not there, that's, that's ridiculous. And, and he, it's, he's a guy to me that at least sees it as it is and will say it as it is. And um, most of the Fox folks are... But again... I that. think that goes back to MLS because right. when Alda has been very critical of the league and the way it develops players, I mentioned Richie Menjivar uh, from El Salvador earlier in the show who, who when Alda essentially discovered and, and, and turned into the player he is that's now getting capped uh, and playing regularly for, for El Salvador. I mean, he's, he's an American race kid and there are critiques when all the makes of the u.s soccer system and of major league soccer specifically which i think don't jive with the uh with the the bombacity of, of stone and lawless and others who promote major league soccer now it, i think it would be good to have that discussion on air but they don't want to have that discussion on air so he's not included and therefore you and i come to a conclusion that they're basically in the tank because it, that's what you have to infer from when all those uh exclusion or when he's on 
the um, the lack of time he's given to articulate his views. One more thing on this one, Kartik, and, and that's that uh, one of the Fox uh, executive producers in the past in an interview talked about how that uh, he likes to dumb down the soccer coverage for viewers in the U.S., because um, and, and a lot of it would be going to the mainstream audience, so kind of dumbing it down because soccer fans in the United States aren't as intellectual about 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 the worldly about the, the the sport from around the world. But but to me that that's again condescending. But to me, I mean, that, and that's why I said I'd love to see NBC Sports do some of these broadcasts because Fox dumbs it down so much. I think that they always seem to be talking down to the audience. And in many ways, too, kind of uh, playing into that cheerleader's point of view, where I'd love them to to be a little bit more critical, be a little bit more. Because I think at the end of the day, most of the listeners and most of the people out there are watching the U.S. saying, "Okay, great, this is wonderful that they're winning these games. But we know that they're not playing that well. We know that there's really kind of. No, but it extends extends beyond Fox, because I think that you're thinking that based on the people who watch Premier League games every week, week, Chris, and I get that. Uh, The people who are watching NBC every week are watching VN and watching La Liga, and they know what good football looks like. I think there are a lot of American fans, no offense, that don't. And uh, a lot and a lot of American writers that play into that and uh, people on Fox who play into that. So, for example, again, Jurgen Klinsmann's the manager. This is terrible football. This is garbage. That would be Lawless's famous term that he would use often uh, uh, in the studio when uh, the U.S. was uh, playing under Klinsmann. And so there is uh, the casual U.S. soccer fan who doesn't necessarily watch the Premier League or La Liga or the Bundesliga. They're not watching Fox for the Bundesliga where the coverage has, has gotten better better um is making judgments based on that and they think that somehow under arena this is good football i think that they don't they don't necessarily know the difference to be honest with you i mean that may sound condescending in my my own way but uh they think it's they think that the Look, the way the Mexico game was covered, where the U.S. had 26% of the ball and didn't really make an attempt to play, they did have a clear tactical plan that worked uh, to push Mexico uh, into into wide areas to crowd crowd the middle of the field and to hit them on the break and and, and use their athleticism um, and and also uh, uh, play towards set pieces. Um, there was so, the kind of analysis I saw after that match, which I think was driven by the coverage on Fox. And as I said on the podcast that week, I had changed the channel to uh, to Univision during the course of that, that broadcast. Um, I think that that spins a narrative for a lot of U.S. fans who just watch the national team and maybe watch Major League Soccer, but they don't watch the Premier League or La Liga, uh, or they have a chip on their shoulder wanting to, 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 to pound their chest and say, hey, our league is better than people give it credit for. How dare Gary Lineker say the things he did about our league, which I, I thought was a bit reactive what Lineker said, but still, um, it, you know, there, there's this defensiveness and it, and Fox plays into that because I think people left that Mexico game thinking it was some sort of great show. There was some sort of great performance by the United States down at Azteca when I was embarrassed that uh, uh, 20 years on from being able to, 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 to do incredible things in Latin America, 20 plus years on from uh, Copa America run in 1995 and World Cup 2002, that we played that way in a qualifier that we set up our team to play that way which was an admission to me that we're not very good arena did a good job tactically but to me it shows the united states doesn't have the personnel doesn't have the, the quality in its in its depth yeah and uh that was not discussed on fox and that was not discussed in most of the articles written by u.s-based soccer journalists after that match yeah a lot of the coverage is very short term i mean to me i mean my biggest criticism about the u.s is that a lack of playing style there is no playing style it's just it's very much 
uh, haphazards, lots of, and it's not very uh, technical. So, but we, <laughs> but this is again to Kosik. We mentioned this, I think, last week that we should do a topic about see, this about this the criticism. This is why. Okay, so yeah, we'll move on in a second. This is why you need to have Eric Winalda on the broadcast because right. he will point that out. He will talk about style. He will talk about tempo. He will talk about player development. They have the guy at Fox. I mean, it's not like this is some sort of radical solution that oh they have to go on and hire this one, that one. They have to. They have the guy there that can that can balance this out, and they're not using him. So yeah. that, that's well, my two cents on And I think, I think the reason why is because uh, Lalas is there. So, I mean, that kind of takes the limelight or spotlight away from Lalas. I mean, if Lalas goes on vacation for a few months and goes to, I mean, wherever he wants to go, uh, and they put Ronaldo in that, you would definitely see a different type of broadcast. And, and, it, and it's not that it would be negative or, or, or critical. It would just would open the viewer's eyes to some of the things that he's seeing. There's a, whole, there's a whole generation of U.S. soccer fans, and I'll get off my soapbox after this, that have come to the game in the last few years who think Eric Winalda is some sort of anti-American clown or a guy that's uh, uh, hypercritical or bitter or something. When he is... Uh, uh, he was the premier U.S. attacking player for uh, an entire generation, uh, starting with the 1990 World Cup. And he is a guy who has seen the system inside and out, and his critiques are, are very valid. Um, so at first, there was a, a mocking of his critiques. Now, I think that there's a, there's a real attempt to marginalize him even saying anything. Um, and yeah. Fox, his employer, is playing into that, in my opinion. Now, if they don't feel that's the case, I would love to hear their their point of view on it. <laughs> yeah, it's def- definitely, uh, we can go on about this topic, but we'll, let's move on. All right, so uh, Anthony Bello sent in an email. He says, I was wondering what your, your thoughts are about uh, Jamie Horowitz being fired by FS1 and the impact on the network's uh, soccer coverage. So, so Karthik, I'll, I'll answer this one really quickly, is that um, I don't think it's going to have that much of an impact on the soccer coverage. The, the, the parts of the, uh, the Fox Sports puzzle that Jamie Horowitz was focusing more on was uh, the manufactured debates with I mean, Colin Cowherd and all those yeah. other folks on, on TV. So I, I, having Horowitz out of there is not going to uh, impact it for the soccer side. They weren't talking about soccer anyway. Um, the second thing that, which would probably have more of an impact would be the foxsoccer.com website which is a ghost of a site of, of what it used to be. It used to have some great coverage. Now it's just videos. Um, and that's the one thing that may change with uh, Horowitz being fired is that maybe they'll start bringing back some, some good coverage and trying to pull people in that way. Uh, other than that, I don't see any difference uh, to the soccer coverage. For the most part, uh, David Nathanson uh, at Fox Sports is kind of uh, ruling the the uh, soccer side and then um, Eric Shanks uh, as a higher up um, kind of uh, making the, some of the big decisions there. Next up is Clayton Davis, and he says he sent this in through email. He says, uh, "Great idea for making only one team get out of the Gold Cup group stage." And this is going back to last week's show when we talked about uh, some solutions of how to make the Gold Cup uh, more watchable. Uh, Clayton says, "I agree. Some urgency would be better. A shorter tournament or more time in between games would be good too." Uh, I think I think we agree there, Kartik. Uh, next up is Raymond Orozco, and uh, he sent this in through Facebook. He said, I would like to see Caribbean countries combined like they do in cricket and compete as the West Indies. So that's a, an interesting one from the Gold Coast. Uh, That'll Gold, never Gold happen. Cup. It'll never happen because yeah. a lot of it is in terms of teams. Want, the same, it's the same reason that uh, Wales, Scotland uh, usually do not want to have a Great Britain team because then that makes um, each individual country... Uh, effectively meaningless. I mean, you less, would... and also less powerful among um, among uh, Concacaf. So right, right now, the Caribbean countries 
we can control many of the uh, the proceedings, the members of CFU, if they're all individual separate countries, which is another reason why uh, there's a desire to have um, uh, Martinique and, and Guadeloupe and French Guiana and, and these French departments, these departments of, of metropolitan France, as CONCACAF members or a few members because it increases their voting share within CONCACAF. It's politics, unfortunately, but it will never happen. Um, if you had a combined West Indies team, uh, they would they would have been quite good. The, yeah. the last, uh, I mean, the number of guys that they've had playing in England um, for both Trinidad and Jamaica have been pretty remarkable the last 20 years. They, they, I'm sure they would have qualified for, for multiple World Cups uh, without question in my mind uh, if they had combined, but it won't happen. And then the last uh, question is from Karen from uh, Facebook. And uh, the question is, hi, what do you think of the takeover of Time Warner by AT&T and what this means for the future of UEFA Champions League broadcasts? So I'll answer this one. Um, it won't change anything in terms of, I mean, uh, Turner still has the rights to uh, the Champions League and Turner is owned by Time Warner, which is probably going to be owned by AT&T soon. But I do want to mention, and this comes from the website from willsoccertalk.com, uh, Oliver Say has been writing quite a bit about it. So I'll, I'll quote him, and he says that uh, the Time Warner AT&T uh, merger will likely put some of the Champions League games on True TV and or HLN, which is uh, formerly known as Headline News, uh, which will give the companies the opportunity to hike the subscriber fee rates. So it could cost us more money via our cable or satellite bills in the future to get those channels. And, of course, the Time Warner and AT&T merger hasn't been approved yet, so uh, everything could change. But, uh, but it's still the, the, the rights still stay, stay with Turner, and if anything, maybe this is going to be some cost-cutting measures, perhaps, by AT&T if they do acquire Time Warner. Um, but in terms of broadcast, I don't think we'll see uh, much of a difference based on the, if, if and when the merger happens. All right, Kartik, so if uh, listeners do have any questions or feedback or comments, um, feel free to send those in to us uh, through email at web at worldsoccertalk.com, through Twitter at wsoccertalk, or through Facebook at facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. Now, Kartik, our feature topic of the week, and this one could be a big one, but it's the topic is America's love-hate relationship with soccer friendlies. And I'll have you kick it off, and then I'll chime in when, <laughs> if you get me enraged. Yeah, I, look, I think that these games are, are largely meaningless. Uh, they're interesting for fans of specific clubs. I went to see Manchester City in 2010. Uh, in uh, in Atlanta, I went to see them in 2013 in New York. Uh, but I haven't gone since. I mean, they've been bad. They've come back every year, and I've, I've, I got my fill of it. <laughs> At that point, I actually had my fill. In 2010, I was able to go in 2013 thanks to you uh, and, and a promotion we were doing at World Soccer Talk. But uh, I, I actually had got my fill of it in 2010, back when Roberto Mancini was a manager and the club hadn't won any trophies in, at the time, 34 years. So um, I, to me, it's, it's, it's uh, the American soccer audience is getting more sophisticated, the people who watch European football, and they realize that these are now meaningless friendlies. It may be interesting if you get a big signing like Manchester United had, does this has this year with Romelu Lukaku or if you had when Pogba came last year um, although they didn't come to the U.S. last year did they were they in the U.S. last year no um, uh, no but when they make big signings uh, it's interesting to see those guys uh, right away but to me I think the 
the, the market has now uh, absorbed this as kind of a cash grab uh, situation. Uh, you don't have the, the numbers flocking to the games or the buzz about, oh, my gosh, Manchester United's coming to Pittsburgh type of thing that, that, you, that you used to have. Um, it was something that, that we were talking about a few years ago. I, mean, I remember having a conversa- conversation. Um, we had an Atlanta-Fort Lauderdale game in, uh, in NASL when I was the communications director for the league that – we had to move because uh, there was a Chelsea AC Milan friendly taking place the same day, same night, same time, uh, 15 miles down the road at Joe Robbie stadium. So we moved uh, the game to a Friday night and uh, at the time Atlanta was coached by Eric Ronaldo. So it seems like Ronaldo keeps popping up on this podcast, but um, I remember talking to him about it and talking to our commissioner, David Downs about it, about that, that, that game didn't, sellout uh that that milan chelsea game and the previous friendlies that had been held in south florida had sold out now they got 62 or 65,000, something like that but they didn't get the full 70 um and that we were beginning to see maybe the american audience becoming more sophisticated and ac milan fans have seen their team once now uh they're not going to drive for 300 miles to see their team again uh etc cetera, etc cetera. That, that that we're now beginning to realize the context around these friendlies the context around these games particularly in summers when they're major tournaments now there was a euro in 2012 um 2017 is a little bit different because we're going into a world cup year right mm-hmm. but i think that's a, that's another thing is that uh you're talking about players that have to pace themselves because they're going to go straight through uh the, the the real stars of the sport like cristiano ronaldo are going to have to go straight through from july to july if they play in these friendlies therefore he's not playing in in real madrid's friendlies here in the united states or, or icc games or whatever you want to term them as so i think we've grown sophisticated enough to realize these are friendlies these games are largely meaningless you can't take wide you can't make wide interpretations or wide judgments based on results um that having been said you don't want to come over here if you're a european club and show really badly against u.s based clubs so that that i think plays into um a whole nother uh part of it where these games are competitive to to the extent that i've seen european clubs come over and get beat uh, by MLS teams or struggle against uh, MLS, USL, um, NASL teams. And, and you don't want to be one of those clubs. So I think there is a certain degree of fire and competitiveness you, you, you saw from Manchester United in the first half against the LA Galaxy, uh, who are a much more known brand, right? Known commodity in, in Europe than, uh, than Real Salt Lake. I, I mean, I have to disagree with you here because I think in many ways, a lot of it's based on the US teams is, is, is how in terms of the LA Galaxy is one example of that of that match is that it's not just about the European teams or teams from anywhere around the world coming and and putting in a good performance but it's also because it's also it needs to be the the, the US teams whether it's uh, MLS NASL USL teams they also need to put in a good performance too because to me watching that LA Galaxy against Man United match that was one of the worst performances I've seen by a football team with LA Galaxy. That first half, I know that it was a, it was a uh, a second street string, but the the ease that Manchester United they were just doing uh, passing the ball around. There was no uh, pressure from LA Galaxy uh, in that first half, and even in the second half when they brought out all the kind of the eight eighteen players, where they brought out Jermaine Jones and Ashley Cole and all the other, the other players. Um, the first shot on goal in that entire match was not until the 80th minute. So for like, what, over 30 minutes, uh, even with the, the A-team playing in the second half, uh, they couldn't even get a shot on goal. And, and to me, that really 
We'll, we'll, we'll get more into this in, in a bit. But to me, it's not just the, the teams from overseas uh, playing well and making the games more meaningful, but also it relies on, on the but, U.S. teams too. But, but it's about priorities because uh, the Galaxy had a U.S. Open Cup match against San Jose uh, that Tuesday. They got get back to regular season MLS action uh they're in a break uh a few days later they've got they, they're in a they're in mid-season how do you prioritize a friendly uh in training and in your squad selection and and, and again this may be there are rules there are strange rules in mls uh, which is probably another reason we need Eric Winalda on, on Fox, but um, that's uh, uh, again. We, I guess maybe we can talk about that topic. But, I, but, there, but you don't have a squad, Chris. You don't have a squad. I, I agree. I agree. Or you can play three times in a week. I agree. And so, 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 you so, have so two if competitive I'm, matches in a week and you have a friendly, you're going to de-emphasize the friendly very naturally. I agree. But if you're if you're LA Galaxy, why are you even taking this match then? Other than cashing in on on, on no, the, the tickets? Because to me, then I mean, yeah, Real Salt Lake. Uh, who put in a good performance against Man United. And to me, watching LA Galaxy, probably, that was probably the first or second time I've seen them this season on television. So most of the MLS games I've seen, I haven't seen many LA Galaxy games because usually those are the later games and I've got kids and I usually watch the earlier games. But to me, as, as a neutral, as somebody who watches soccer for the love of watching soccer, I was looking at this performance by LA Galaxy and thinking, like, this is a joke. This is the, the, the first half was horrible. The second half wasn't that much better. And to me, it makes LA Galaxy look, look like a, a second-rate club against a Manchester United, Manchester United team that uh, was just going through the, uh, going through the motions, really, and, and playing really well. Um, but, to, but to me, I mean... You're right about Salt Lake. Uh, Salt Lake probably took it more seriously as an opportunity to get their name out there. So that, that you make a good point there, that even the contrast between the way Salt Lake approached the game and, saw, and RSL had a game... 48 hours later, a competitive game versus the way the Galaxy did. That, that's, yeah. that's actually a very good point. But, that, but that's the thing, though, to me, is, is that uh, if you are wanting to get these games to be more meaningful, is that both teams need to go into these, these matches with um, not, not going helter-skelter because you, you don't want injuries on either side, but at least playing competitive soccer. And if, you, if you're not willing to play competitive soccer, then, then don't play. I mean, don't, don't go on these tours or don't, play, don't host these friendlies against uh, teams from around the world because all you're doing is just cashing in and, and you're making yourself look bad on television, national television, for the fans. I mean, maybe, maybe there were some United fans that went to that match. They've never been to a Galaxy match before, and they live in the Southern California area. Um, that, I mean, in terms of them coming back, it's probably very unlikely. Uh, and it'd be interesting to see LAFC next year if they put in the same type of level of commitment against a, a foreign team or whether they actually play up and, and uh, try hard or to be a little bit more competitive, to, be, uh, to look better on television or to look better in person. But, um, but, but, but Karthik, I, I think personally speaking is um, I think I, I, get, I get what you're saying in terms of these being meaningless friendlies. But I think they are meaningful. And the reason I think they're meaningful is because of the fans. Because it's one of those things that, uh, yes, the foreign teams are looking at this way to, uh, to increase revenue through, you mean, playing these lucrative uh, friendlies, but also expanding their, um, the supporter base. But at the end of the day, these tickets are being bought. I mean, you're looking at any of these games that have been played um, this past week in the United States with foreign teams. Most of them have had great attendances. And it's, it's interesting too, Karthik, because if you look at um, 
the US Ghana game, which was in Nashville, which was the friendly before the Gold Cup, which was a, I mean, a great day. And it was uh, after that game, there's a lot of people saying like, hey, maybe Nashville could be a, uh, a future MLS city. Well, the, the, the attendance for that was 28,000, which is great, a great number. But the, the expected attendance for the Man City against Spurs International Champions Cup friendly is going to be 60,000. So more than double the US national team. Even last night at Lincoln uh, Financial Field in Philadelphia, the attendance was, I think, 31,000. Well, you're looking at uh, that on that same night. Last night, it was uh, AS Roma against PSG in Detroit, and that had uh, 60,000 people, so more than double. So that, that's the reason why I understand that these games are meaningless because it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. But they are meaningful. And, th- and that's the part that gets me uh, upset because there's a lot of uh, reporters and a lot of journalists out there that focus on MLS and that uh, really um, downgrade um, these types of games. And they say, ah, this, this is this. like, for example, Jason Davis was on Sirius Satellite this week on his show. And he said that these games have no value. And to me, I completely disagree with that because they have value because there's people coming out to these games, watching these games. They're attached to these clubs. They want to see these players in person. And and yes, the the result is meaningless, but that there is value there. There's a lot of values there. And I think but, MLS but, fans, I think MLS reporters get very defensive about these these games because they see that the, the TV ratings, they see that the attendances, they see the amount of traction that these games get. And meanwhile, MLS games get very little of that. And there's a lot of reporters that go out of the way not to cover ICC because they don't want to give it any more publicity than it's already getting. Well, that, 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 that's fair. Uh, and, but we have to distinguish between games between uh, PSG versus uh, Man City or, or whatever, right? Spurs versus PSG uh, and games that involve clubs from U.S.-based leagues, uh, whether it be NASL or uh, USL or, or also MLS. And I think for the NASL, USL and MLS teams, these games are meaningless. Uh, uh, largely meaningless they are they, they are impositions in the middle of a competitive season i can tell you from having worked in nasl these games cost you more money than you generate in revenue maybe you get your name out as a club or a serious club by having a, a friendly so i think that that's uh that's got to be a consideration now as far as the fans flocking to these games and nashville getting twice as many fans for man city than they did for the u.s men's national team yeah, but how many of those Man City fans that go to the game or Spurs fans that go to that game are persuadable, if you will, to watch Major League Soccer? Uh, I don't know if many of them are. So we're talking about a different audience here. Now, if you're a responsible soccer journalist and your um, agenda is to promote the sport and not just promote a, a, a specific league or specific ideology associated with that league, which is Major League Soccer, then, yeah, you should be covering these things equally. But we know we've already talked about Fox and talked about uh, U.S. writers after the U.S.-Mexico game at Azteca. They're not that way. So. I, again, I wouldn't expect any different. And there is this. I think it's important for, for folks to understand who may not realize this. There is an ideology attached to supporting Major League Soccer uh, and being a, a writer that covers Major League Soccer. It's almost like a cause for so many of the people who write about the league and cover the league and, and, and the Rob Stones who, who present the league. It, it's a cause. It's a it's a, it's it's a cause that they want to promote and they want to make MLS appear more relevant on the global stage and appear more uh, to be of a higher quality than perhaps it is. And that's why we've also had this problem 
the U.S. men's national team of every guy who's doing decently well in MLS being elevated is the next big thing for the U.S. men's national team. Um, I think this is all part of the same debate. You know, we have these little tangent, tangential debates, oh, friendlies versus how the ICC is being covered versus uh, a U.S. men's national team, et cetera. It's all part of the larger debate that we have two very distinct pots of soccer fans, or really three, if, if you include those who watch Liga MX and, and, and Latin American soccer and don't really watch European football. But uh, um, for this purposes of this discussion, you have two separate and distinct pots of fans, people who watch European games, watch NBC, watch BN, and you've got a different pot of people who watch uh, Major League Soccer, the U.S. Men's National Team, and watch Fox and watch ESPN. I mean, it's, it's almost like a separate, and it's an opportunity actually for ESPN to, 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 to reassert their relevance with the fans who watch BN and NBC. But I think it's, uh, it's, it, they're separate fans, and the Jason Davises of the world, for all his um, attempts to appear to, to be interested in soccer as a whole, the Jason Davises of the world speak for that group that's watching Major League Soccer. That's all he speaks for. And I think he, he articulates their point of view and their ideology as well as anyone. He's really good at it. Um, but that's a specific point of view. So um, and it, I think and to it, that group, these games are meaningless. They're, 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 well, well, one of the reasons, too, because they get very defensive is that because of the results. So if uh, LA Galaxy uh, loses 5-2 to Manchester United, they're not mostly on social media, but there's people saying, like, ah, LA Galaxy's horrible, Manchester United's uh, so much better. And, and you know, this is why uh, leagues outside of the U.S. are better than the leagues in the U.S. And, and to me, I, I kind of disregard all of that because it, it, it is not apple staples by any means um but at the end of the day it's still not a good look for mls clubs that don't turn up for these games that really are looking just to cash in and and from my point of view is that either you cash in and play or play competitively or you step out of this because there there are some harmful aspects of uh, u.s friendlies or friendlies in the u.s where it could look bad on the vice versa uh, Kansas City whiz when they had that game against Manchester United and they won the game was it like four three or something like that uh, several years ago that Sporting KC has said, has said the executives have said that was kind of the 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 touch point that was kind of the the, the spark point for really taking Sporting KC and moving that to eventually become uh, a fully-fledged club and, and to be like a really exciting proposition because that ignited the entire area that people started talking about, hey, did you see that game? Because it was a, comp- a very competitive right, game. Arguably the best club in the U.S. Yeah, I, we did a ranking a couple years ago on World Soccer Talk, and I ranked them as using a metric, not just uh, totally subjective, but using a metric, I ranked them as the best club in, in the U.S., and they weren't. Uh, even by MLS standards at the time, they played that game. That's a good point. Yeah, but, but so, so these games, I mean, I mean, I think there is that love-hate relationship with it. Uh, I think a lot of people hate to see kind of... Uh, people making theories based on I, I think on the it results. was even a game in 2004 or 5 I remember between VC United and Chelsea where Chelsea were at the height of their powers under under Mourinho and they came over to RFK and DC gave them a game I think it ended up being 3-2 uh, Chelsea won or, 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 or 2-1 something like that but um, I remember that improving Major League Soccer standing as a whole 
in uh, in, in in the European press mm -hmm. and yeah. uh, really kind of verifying um, the the quality of MLS. Now, as it turns out, I think at the time in MLS DC was probably the only team that could give a European club a game, honestly. And they, well, they was, just had to play them. There was that game too. I don't know if, if you remember this one, Kartik. It was DC United against Tottenham Hotspur at White, yeah, White Hart Lane. Yeah, yeah, yeah and and that's right. the and that's the thing though too. I, I think these these U.S. friend these friendlies in the U.S. or anywhere around the world really have a lot of can have a lot of uh, meaning if pl uh, teams are willing to actually be competitive, and it can sp spark interest. Now I have to I have to point this out. Now if we're going to look at this as, as some sort of metric and make judgments based on it, which I won't, but if you do, this might be why guys like Jason Davis get defensive. Uh, the results for MLS teams have gotten progressively worse yeah. in these uh, in these games. I mean, we went from seeing the MLS never lose an All Star game, whether it was to Chelsea or Fulham or whoever they brought over, to then getting beaten uh, five two. Uh, seven nil, these sorts of ridiculous score lines by by Manchester United, the two time, and then the Roma game. Uh, the Roma just played MLS All Stars off the park, uh, really, really ripped them to pieces. Uh, one year, I can't remember what year that was, and, and it just these results have gotten, I think, progressively worse for MLS. Now, when the MLS All Stars beat Bayern Munich, uh, we never heard the end of it. So there is, um, I think these these results have gotten progressively. Worse. That's part of it. The other thing, uh, though, cutting which you, you, you look at, which is uh, which is uh, partly. I have to say, it's partly because the MLS talent level has been diluted by rapid expansion. But go, right. go ahead. But you look at ICC. You look at uh, last year, 2016, and you look at this year, 2017. There are no MLS clubs uh, participating. And uh, last year, when we interviewed Charlie Stilitano and asked him, like, hey, what's going on with uh, MLS clubs? And he said, OK, well, it was it was a last minute thing and we weren't able to get uh, any any signings of, of any clubs to play in the 2016 tournaments. But we're definitely going to get some 2017 uh, MLS clubs uh, performing in, in that tournament. And at the end of the day, zero uh, MLS clubs. So I, I think in many ways, I mean, I mean, I don't know if MLS clubs are uh, specifically saying, OK, let's avoid ICC because it's really more of a, uh, for lack of a better term, kind of a Euro snob competition, which I don't think it is. But still, the quality level is very high and it's a different type of audience, perhaps. But um, or if there are other reasons, you mean, in terms of a, a crowded uh, calendar, in terms of all these matches, not being able to fit them in. Look, I'll even say this here in, in Florida. We have the Florida Cup and we have not been able to get Orlando City to, to, to play in it. We've had Fort Lauderdale playing it. We've had Tampa Bay playing it. Uh, NASL teams, uh, Tampa Bay's now USL team. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, no, I, I mean, we've had those sorts of teams. That, 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 that's what the tournament's based upon. Right, so right, right, right. We have not been able to get Orlando to play in it. And um, there are restrictions on the MLS calendar and the collective bargaining agreement. That's been part of it. I think also part of it has been there's just a genuine fear in MLS land of exposing yourself to uh, to these sorts of things unless you control the venue, you control the atmosphere, you control the um, – the date, as far as money is concerned, and, and, and making money through, through uh, SUM. So, I would say, I would say, the I think that that's part of the reason they don't participate in the ICC. Uh, possibly, I, I would say that it seems that this summer there seems to be far fewer MLS clubs having friendlies against uh, foreign opposition uh, compared to previous years. So, yes, Man United played Real Salt Lake, and they played LA Galaxy essentially as warm-up matches for ICC. Uh, you've had uh, Eintracht Frankfurt play against uh, Columbus, and they also had right. another game. But uh, above and beyond that, there haven't been... I mean, the Swansea's been playing Philadelphia Union, uh, but then the other clubs have been playing are um, USL clubs. 
but there are not a lot of friendlies uh, MLS clubs. So maybe maybe it is a conscious decision where they're saying, okay, this is not really paying out for us. I think there are opportunities where it could pay off for them, but for whatever reason, they're not choosing to, to take those. And um, maybe they just see that it's it's a lose-lose for them. And, and maybe at the end of the day, it is for many of them. But uh, I don't know. To me personally, uh, just to kind of finish on this note, Kartik, um, unless you have any, anything additional to add. But for me, I do find the friendlies meaningful. Uh, I think I, I agree that the results are meaningless, but meaningful in terms of just the amount of people that show up for these games, the passion from the, the supporters in the stadiums, uh, the, the great opportunities that fans get to see their favorite clubs in person. And I think uh, judging by the ticket sales and judging by the amount of interest, I think this is a win-win for, for those clubs overseas. And I, and I think that these friendlies are a good thing for soccer in the United States because it does help the, uh, the sport uh, grow. Yeah, I, I would agree. It definitely helps the sport grow. It's uh, on the surface. The uh, the games actually taking place is a good thing for soccer in this country. I I, I would I do think though, however, there are uh, some serious questions as to the importance of the games in terms of, of, of football, soccer, and uh, also uh, whether or not the fans that watch European matches are actually persuadable to MLS in, in its current form or whether even it goes the other way too, right? Yeah. Whether the, 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 the uh, quality of, uh, of uh, watching uh, Juventus play a Real Madrid, I mean, it's that you don't get, uh, higher quality than that in the world of football. And I don't care if it's a world cup final. I don't care if it's Germany versus Spain, uh, a Germany versus Spain game is not as high quality as a Bayern Munich versus Real Madrid game. It just isn't, um, honestly. And, uh, although that they would push it, uh, that pushes it obviously because so many of the same players, but, um, in Italy versus, uh, a Spain game is not of as high quality, although it's interesting. It's a great game as a Juventus versus Real Madrid game. This is as high quality as you get. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I think that there is kind of a, a resentment among those who are ideologically tied to promotion of Major League Soccer and U.S. soccer as a cause. Now, I have to say, and, and just I'll just wrap up on this, there are good reasons why people get defensive about their support of MLS and U.S. soccer because th- there are Euro snobs in this country. I'm sorry, I hate to use the term. There are people who are really condescending uh, that live in this country, uh, work in this country, watch American sports, take their kids to soccer practice in the morning, but are condescending about any professional soccer played in this country. Um, and we have to deal with that. Those of us who, 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 who've worked in this country and uh, have worked uh, in, the, in the game in this country, as I have for almost a decade, and, uh, have, uh, and, and try and support soccer in, in all its different forms. But um, sometimes it manifests itself into this ugly uh, shouting match and, and things like Davis saying, hey, these games are meaningless. I, I don't care I think, uh... type of thing. I think I think it's in many ways though too, Carter. That's a good point because uh, you look at the Gary Lineker comments that he put on Twitter when he was watching the LA Galaxy against Man United game, saying that uh, MLS uh, is so far off uh, some of the, the the top teams or top leagues in the world. But but that's the thing though too. I mean, the contrast between those two games, the LA Galaxy game against Man United and the Real Real Salt Lake game against Man United. That Real Salt Lake team, I was really impressed. 
And if I'm somebody that lived in the Salt Lake uh, City region and I had never been to an MLS game before, or, uh, I would probably go back to watch Real Salt Lake based on that yeah. performance in the first 30 minutes. Vice versa with LA Galaxy, I'd, I'd probably say, okay, I'm never spending any of my money with this club because the, the, the performance level that they put into this was pathetic. So, Well, that might, that might explain why Salt Lake, uh, their, their local television ratings, they get like a five or six share locally and the Galaxy get less than a one share. Because I, I honestly, no, I think it's about approach. Uh, uh, people say the Galaxy are a big team, but they don't have – there were, there were like a handful of people watching Galaxy games when they're on, on, on the road, on television in that market who don't go to the games already. Where Salt Lake, there's a whole bunch of fans who don't get to go to the games that won't watch that team and that manifests itself. So it manifests itself in television ratings and getting support locally when your team goes away from home as well. Um, and I, I've drawn the contrast actually, ironically enough, talking about television ratings between those two clubs and their local ratings, mm -hmm. um, their, their, their channels when they're on the road, when they're away from home. And, uh, it's funny that, that, that we've had the same contrast between those two clubs in how they've approached this. That might be part of it. There might be people who've never gone to a real Salt Lake game or don't go often who say, okay, I saw them now against Manchester United. They played well. I'm going to turn, turn on their next away game mm -hmm. in major league soccer. Whereas sure. if. If you're a casual L.A. person who, of course, would expect an even higher quality product than you probably do in, in, in Salt Lake City uh, in Utah and you watch that, why are you going to watch a Galaxy game after yeah. that? Yeah, precisely. And I think at the end of the day, it's one of those things where I think for teams in the U.S., whether you're USL, NASL, NPSL or MLS, is that – it's not a given that you just open a club and then all of a sudden people start coming to your games. I think it's one of those things you have to earn respect. And by if you do decide to play in these friendlies against foreign opposition, that uh, to me, you need to be competitive because it is an opportunity to, to bring in fans uh, for the long term not just a, a short-term cash grab. As and you also showcase your stadiums. I mean, I think uh, StubHub Center isn't, it isn't one of my favorite facilities, but uh, the, uh, the RSL Stadium Rio Tinto in, uh, in Sandy is one of the better stadiums in this country. So you get the chance to, to show off your stadium against Manchester United. Uh, people aren't going to flock to your stadium when you play. I think you're convincing me as we go on oh, in this God. argument, in this discussion, <laughs> but when you play the Colorado Rapids or you play uh, Sporting Kansas City or, or Minnesota United, but you have the chance to show off that stadium, um, which is why I was surprised Orlando didn't do any friendlies at home this year with their new stadium. They've been... Uh, um, They've been willing to bring Stoke uh, in and Newcastle in and, and uh, Brazilian clubs, Point Preta, uh, Sao Paulo in the past uh, when they played at the Citrus Bowl, mm -hmm. but unwilling to in their new stadium. I mean, I think that's, it would be a great opportunity to show off their new stadium. That's why, why I think is that there has been a conscious effort to limit these games. It just seems that to, that to be far fewer friendlies than what we've been used to in the past before, where we've had even championship clubs, a lot of championship clubs come, coming and playing. And, and uh we haven't seen that this summer, so I think it's a conscious effort on, on MLS clubs' point of view in terms of or U.S. clubs to that they don't see the value in this. And I, I do see the value, but you have to earn it, and, and there's a lot of work that goes into I, it. I, I have to say on that, and maybe we can wrap up on this, uh, it is expensive and cost prohibitive if you're a U.S. club to bring in, no offense, but to bring in Swansea, to bring in Cardiff, to bring in uh, Sheffield Wednesday, to bring in uh, Fulham or, uh, or Watford. These lower-end Premier League teams are high-end championship teams. It's tough. Those teams don't necessarily have the fan base to justify opening a game and trying to sell a 20,000-seat stadium on it. Now, 
if you're talking about Spurs and Everton and, and Man United and Man City, Arsenal, uh, and then obviously the big Spanish clubs, it's a completely different ball of wax. Um, uh, the difference between getting uh, uh, getting uh, Watford uh, for a friendly and Everton for a friendly is massive. So it's not just getting a Premier League club, but it's getting one that that's going to drive drive an audience. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, Everton uh, it costs a lot more to bring Everton than it does to bring Watford or Swansea. Right. So it's it's all it's all goes back to economics. Um, yeah. And, but it is it is cost effective to bring in Everton, even if you have to pay half a million dollars, because you'll sell the stadium out and you'll get recognition if you take the game seriously. For USL and NASL clubs, I, I think it's it's a it's probably too much to ask in terms of trying to do these friendlies in terms of the, the costs involved. For MLS, I, I disagree with you, Kartik, in terms of I think there is an opportunity there. Just as one example of one game, and that was Swansea against uh, Philadelphia Union. Uh, a lot of the Philly Union fans were expecting about five thousand fans. Uh, the attendance for that game was over 16,000 so and, and that was on the same night that the US played uh, mm. uh, in the Gold Cup so I think there is an opportunity if you promote it correctly uh, and don't oversaturate the market to, to bring in some even lower I mean the Swansea almost got into the championship but some lower uh, Premier League clubs and bring them in give them the training facilities um, but then use that as an opportunity to um, to introduce new soccer fans to your MLS club perhaps but all right, Kartik. So thanks for listening. Uh, you can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, Audio Boom, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media, and please give us a re- review on iTunes. We greatly appreciate it. And Kartik, what should they do? Enjoy your football. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.